I'm Pastor Nicole, the pastor of worship here at Hope Fellowship Church, for those who don't know me, and it's an honor to be able to continue in our sermon series this morning from the book of Acts. Today, as we study Acts, we see that the church is a place of action that's marked by a deeply relational faith. God is directly at work in people's lives, transforming them, teaching them, challenging them as they're stretched sometimes outside of their comfort zones and as they grow in relationship with him. Today's story, as Gary has already alluded to, of, of the Apostle Paul, also known as Saul. In our text day, when we meet him, he'll be called Saul, which was just the, the Hebrew version of his name, and Paul is the Greek version of his name. So his story is a story of transformation. And so in just a minute, we're gonna read that story, the story of, of Saul, and also of a man named Ananias. And no, it's not the same Ananias that we heard about a few weeks ago who dropped dead. If you missed that story, you can go back to October 2nd and listen to Pastor Josh's sermon about that either on YouTube or we have a podcast as well where you can catch that. This is a different Ananias. Um, and so Saul and Ananias. But before we hear about this week's Ananias, let's pray. Loving Father, as we open up your word today, we ask that you would meet us where we're at. You know what we came in this morning with on our hearts. You know the questions we're asking. You know our hopes, you know our dreams, you know our fears. And so we ask that you would speak to us through your word today as we open it up and as we come to you. Be at work in our hearts by your Holy Spirit so we can be transformed by an encounter with you, the living God. Encourage us where we need to be encouraged. Inspire us where we need to be inspired. And convict us where we need to be challenged. Give us all that we need to live each and every day for you. Amen. So we'll re be reading from Acts chapter 9, beginning at verse 1. And the, the words will also be on the screen if you'd like to follow along or you can turn to it in your Bibles. Acts chapter 9, beginning at verse 1. Meanwhile, Saul was still breathing out murderous threats against the Lord's disciples. He went to the high priest and asked him for letters to the synagogues in Damascus, so that if he found any there who belonged to the way, whether men or women, he might take them as prisoners to Jerusalem. As he neared Damascus on his journey, suddenly a light from heaven flashed around him. He fell to the ground and, and heard a voice say to him, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? Who are you, Lord? Saul asked. I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting, he replied. Now get up and go into the city, and you will be told what you must do. The men traveling with Saul stood there speechless. They heard the sound but didn't see anyone. Saul got up from the ground, but when he opened his eyes, he could see nothing. So they led him by the hand into Damascus. For three days he was blind and did not eat or drink anything. In Damascus, there was a disciple named Ananias. The Lord called to him in a vision, Ananias. Yes, Lord, he answered. The Lord told him, go to the house of Judas on Straight Street and ask for a man from Tarsus named Saul, for he is praying. In a vision, he's seen a man named Ananias come 
and place his hands on him to restore his sight. Lord, Ananias answered, I've heard many reports about this man and the harm he's done to your holy people in Jerusalem. And he's come here with authority from the chief priests to arrest all who call on your name. But the Lord said to Ananias, go, this man is my chosen instrument to proclaim my name to the Gentiles and their kings and to the people of Israel. I will show him how much he must suffer for my name. Then Ananias went to the house and entered it. Placing his hands on Saul, he said, Brother Saul, the Lord, Jesus, who appeared to you on the road as you were coming here, has sent me so that you may see again and be filled with the Holy Spirit. Immediately, something like scales fell from Saul's eyes and he could see again. He got up and was baptized and after taking some food, he regained his strength. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. This morning I want us to to slow down and really enter this story together. In just a minute, I'm gonna retell the story again, adding in some more background and details. As I do so, I invite you to pay attention to these two men, Saul and Ananias. How are their stories similar in this text and where do they differ in their response to God's calling? Scene one, danger in Damascus. It's a good day for Ananias until the messenger arrives. The sharp knocking at his door catches him off guard. The man outside is breathless. I came as fast as I could. It's Saul from Tarsus. He's on his way here from Jerusalem. I I came quickly, but he's probably not a day or so behind me. I heard myself, he has letters from the high priest in Jerusalem. He has the authority to arrest anyone who follows the way of Jesus here in Damascus. I have to go now. I have to warn the others. And with that, he's off again. Saul of Tarsus. Ananias' heart sinks. Damascus may be a six-day journey from Jerusalem, but news of Saul has traveled fast. They've all heard how he's been going from house to house in Jerusalem, hunting down those who follow Jesus, pulling them out of their homes, how they've been imprisoned, beaten, how some of them have even lost their lives. And now, now Saul's coming here to his city. Ananias tries to push down his rising fear He tries not to think of what could happen to him and to his friends. They knew choosing this path wouldn't always be easy. Jesus himself had warned those who followed him that following him would involve suffering. If the world hates you, keep in mind that it hated me first, he had told his disciples. Ananias sinks down to his knees in prayer. God, I'm willing to suffer and die for you, but please protect us, especially my family and those I love. Please protect us. Our lives are in your hands. Scene two, on the road. Saul travels down the road to Damascus with the passion of a man on a mission from God himself. 
All his life, Saul has lived for God. He's a strict keeper and defender of Paul's, of God's law. A Pharisee like his father and his father's father before him. When Jesus of Nazareth appeared on the scene a few years back, the things that man said had made Saul's blood boil. He, Jesus had challenged their customs. He'd questioned their interpretations of God's law. And he'd said some not very nice things about Saul's people, the Pharisees. They'd finally found a way to get rid of Jesus. But his followers haven't been so easy to silence. They continue to go on and on about the man, spreading lies, teaching falsehoods. Saul heard Stephen, one of the man's leaders and followers in Jerusalem, claim that Jesus was standing at the right hand of God. He might as well have said that Jesus was God himself. Saul had watched with satisfaction as they'd thrown stone after stone at that man. Until finally that lying voice was silenced. That day lit a fire in Saul. And he found his purpose, his calling. He's since made it his personal mission to hunt them all down. Every last one of them. All who follow Jesus. One by one he'll find them, silence them. These people are enemies of God. And enemies of God are Saul's enemies. Scene three, conversion. The light comes out of nowhere. It's blinding, all enveloping, brighter than the sun itself. Saul tumbles to the ground in shock as a voice cries out, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? What's going on? What is this voice from heaven? Who are you, Lord? The voice responds, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. Now get up and go to the city, and you'll be told what you must do. It takes a moment for the words to sink in as, as Saul tries to make sense of it. Jesus? What? This doesn't make any sense. How could that dead man they got rid of be talking to him? Unless, unless, no, it couldn't be. But what if? Shock hardens into a knot of guilt in the pit of his stomach. He's gonna be sick. The faces of those he arrested parade before him. Men, women, children. The cries he, he heartlessly ignored. The stones hitting Stephen one by one. How could he have gotten it so wrong? A hand reaches down to him. One of his companions is, is saying something, asking a question. Shakily, Saul gets up. He opens his eyes, but he can't see anything. He's completely blind. The only images before him are the ones he wishes he could forget. The, the hand urges him onward, and he puts one foot in front of the other. Each step, an echo of the question in his heart. What have I done? 
What have I done? They get to Damascus, to Judas's house where they were heading. Judas welcomes them with open arms, offering them food and refreshment after their long journey from Jerusalem. Saul declines. He needs to be alone. He needs to make sense of his, his rapidly unraveling faith. For three days, he refuses to eat. He refuses to drink. He sinks to his knees in prayer. Jesus, forgive me. Scene four, challenging calls. Several days after the messenger's warning came to Ananias, Jesus himself appears to Ananias in a vision. Ananias! Ananias sits straight up, excitement coursing through his veins. Jesus is talking to him. Yes, Lord, here I am. Go to the house of Judas on Straight Street and ask for a man from Tarsus named Saul, for he is praying. In a vision, he's seen a man named Ananias come and place his hands on him to restore his sight. Ananias' enthusiasm begins to fade. Surely Jesus must be wrong in his instructions. Why would Jesus want to heal a man like Saul? Doesn't he know what that man has done? Lord, I've heard reports about this man and and all the harm he's done to your holy people in Jerusalem. And now he's come here with authority from the chief priest to arrest all who call on your name. But Jesus is clear. Go, this man is my chosen instrument to proclaim my name to the Gentiles and their kings and to the people of Israel. I will show him how much he must suffer for my name. The vision fades and Ananias is left trying to make sense of Jesus' puzzling instructions. Something Jesus said to his disciples when he was walking the earth comes to mind. Jesus once said, you have heard it said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you that you may be children of your Father in heaven. He causes his son to rise on the evil and the good and sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. Pray for those who persecute you. Suddenly, Jesus' instructions make a little more sense. Ananias gets up, strengthened with newfound resolve. Whatever happens, He will trust his savior. He will go to Straight Street. He will find Saul. Scene five, the meeting. As the door creaks open, Saul looks towards it with unseeing eyes. Compassion replaces fear in Ananias' heart as he sees the sudden hope on Saul's face. Walking over, he gently places his hands on Saul and speaks in a quiet but firm voice. Brother Saul, the Lord, Jesus, who appeared to you on the road as you were coming here, has sent me so that you may see again and be filled with the Holy Spirit. Brother Saul. Saul doesn't know if he's ever heard more beautiful words spoken to him. 
This man, whom he'd come here to persecute, calling him brother. Somehow that that one word conveys forgiveness, acceptance, belonging, all of which he doesn't deserve. A tear slips down Saul's cheek, and then another, and another. He can't stop them. As they fall, he slowly realizes with joy that, that he can make out the lamp in the corner, the carpet on the floor, the smile on Ananias' face. He can see again. Ananias, the man who called him brother. And suddenly Saul knows his next step. He will be baptized. He will join these followers of the way of Jesus After the baptism, Saul sits at a table with Ananias. Enemies turned brothers share a meal. And for the first time in his life, Saul knows the meaning of grace, a gift undeserved, a welcome not earned. He will dedicate his life to sharing this good news of grace with all who will listen. The story that we read today and have entered into in Acts chapter 9 tells a story of true transformation. When we first meet Saul on the road to Damascus, things are pretty clear cut to him. He knows the certainty of his faith. He's absolutely confident that he knows what God wants and who God is. Anyone who challenges his beliefs is an enemy that must be silenced. A threat not only to him, but a threat to God. God is in need of of protecting, of defending, of saving, and Saul is his champion. In his passion, Saul is blind to the pain he's causing, the God he claims to serve. Watching him travel down this road, I, I can't help but think of all the others like Saul who have done terrible things in God's name throughout history the misguided crusaders of the 11th and 12th centuries, the Catholics and Protestants who spent considerable energy hunting, imprisoning, and and even killing each other following the Reformation, those who interpreted the Bible in ways that justified apartheid in South Africa and the brutality of the slave trade in much of the Western world, the residential schools where students were stripped of their culture, language, and faced abuse, many of them run and sponsored by churches. All of these things done in God's name, breaking God's heart. And I think there's a temptation for all of us in every age to fall a little bit into Saul's mindset. When the world around us changes, we look for certainty and comfort in our rules and in our traditions. Because if we know all the rules, we can make sure that we're keeping them, unlike those other people. And there's nothing that unites like a common enemy, whoever that enemy might be. The urge to silence voices or positions that challenge our own assumptions about the world takes on a dangerous edge when it mixes with the belief that God himself is under attack and that it's up to us to protect him, to defend him, 
or to save him. But an encounter with the risen Lord Jesus Christ challenges that mindset. Jesus has a way of making things a little less black and white, a little more messy. When he walked this earth, Jesus constantly got under the skin of the religious leaders of his day. As he did things good Jewish men weren't supposed to do and hung out with people good Jewish men were not supposed to associate with. Jesus consistently chose courage over fear, love over hate. Even as he hung on the cross dying, he didn't respond with anger or hatred, but with compassion. He prayed for those who persecuted him, praying, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they do. Jesus challenges Ananias too. He challenges Ananias' assumptions about who's on the inside and who's on the outside. It's Ananias' relationship with Jesus that gives him the courage to leave the safety of his home and enter a home containing a man who wanted to kill him. It's Ananias' relationship with Jesus that enables him to meet Saul in a place of vulnerability and offer him forgiveness, grace, compassion, and healing. We see a similar transformation in Saul's own life. Let's fast forward to one more scene. Scene six, a changed man. Saul is under house arrest in Rome, awaiting a trial that could end in his death. He's a lot older than the man we first met on the road to Jerusalem. And while his eyes are still burning with passion, the anger and the hatred are gone. They're replaced by peace. The words that God spoke to Ananias about Saul have come true. Saul has proclaimed the name of Jesus to Gentiles and to their kings and to the people of Israel. He has suffered and is continuing to suffer much for the name of Jesus. And it has all been worth it for Saul. Waiting for trial, Saul uses his time to, to write letters to the churches he's helped to plant over the years, including one letter to a church in Philippi. In this letter, he reflects on the transformation that has taken place in his life as he writes, I was circumcised when I was eight days old. I am a pure-blooded citizen of Israel and a member of the tribe of Benjamin, a real Hebrew if there ever was one. I was a member of the Pharisees who demand the strictest obedience to the Jewish law. I was so zealous that I harshly persecuted the church. And as for righteousness, I obeyed the law without fault. I once thought these things were valuable, but now I consider them worthless because of what Christ has done. Yes, everything else is worthless when compared with the infinite value of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake, I have discarded everything else, counting it all as garbage, so that I could gain Christ and become one with him. I no longer count on my own righteousness through obeying the law. Rather, I become righteous through faith in Christ. For God's way of, of making us right with himself depends on faith. I want to know Christ and experience the mighty power that raised him from the dead. I want to suffer with him, sharing in his death, 
so that one way or another, I will experience the resurrection from the dead. I want to know Christ. There it is, the secret of Paul Saul's transformation, a living relationship with his Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Here at Hope Fellowship Church, our mission is to bring people into relationship with Jesus Christ by inviting them to believe in Jesus, to belong to God's family, and to bless every neighbor. Whether it's your first time here or you've been coming for years, today God wants to invite you deeper into that relationship with him. God is inviting you to get to know him more. It doesn't matter who you are. It doesn't matter what you've done. Jesus is waiting with open arms. He's waiting to welcome you into his family and to allow a relationship with him to transform your life. Sometimes people ask, if I become a follower of Jesus, what will it do to me? What will happen to me? What kind of a person will I become? Our text this morning answers that it will certainly change you. And it won't always be easy. Having a living relationship with Jesus will challenge your assumptions about God. It may bring you into relationship with people who are quite different than you. It may even involve suffering or putting your life at risk as God calls you to reach out to people. But it will be worth it. Because as we get to know Jesus more and more, he opens our eyes to see where we, like Ananias, can speak words of healing, hope, and restoration to people like Saul who need to hear them. Where we can go with, with healing in our hands. Where we can be people who share that good news of God's grace. On the days when I get discouraged thinking about all the evils that have been done in the name of religion, the Holy Spirit also gently reminds me of all the good that's been done. Of those who've chosen courage over fear, love over hate, often going unnoticed or unnamed or unrecognized in their small acts of great love. People who've started schools and hospitals and nonprofits around the world to address different issues of justice and poverty. People who right now around the world and in our own communities here are, are feeding the hungry, clothing the naked, visiting the prisoners, caring for the sick. I think of those working to, to end human trafficking and rescue people. I think of those reaching out to, to people whose lives have been devastated to war and are moving to a brand new country trying to get started. I think of people making phone calls to check in on a friend, of tear-filled meetings of, of forgiveness and reconciliation as, as people who have been fighting come together in the same room and find forgiveness and unity. I think of a, a meal dropped off to a family going through a hard time. Friends, these are the kinds of people Jesus is inviting us to become. People of courage, people of love, and that fills me with hope. Would you join me in prayer? 
God, we find ourselves in different places in this story today. Some of us perhaps relate to Saul on that road to Damascus. We want to follow you and are passionate about defending your truth and your way. We ask for your guidance and wisdom. Open our eyes to see how we can serve you most effectively and show us if we're going about things in the wrong way. Others of us feel the guilt of, of knowing how we failed you and failed others in our lives. We can relate to Saul as he sits praying and fasting, reflecting on all that he's done, wondering what's next for him. God, we thank you for the forgiveness we've been reminded of so many times this morning already, for your overwhelming, never-ending, reckless love. Thank you that in Jesus Christ, there's no condemnation and that there's room at the table for each of us. Still others of us find ourselves relating to Ananias. We hear your call to show love and forgiveness to people who have wronged us and those we love. It's not easy to love our enemies or to pray for those who are persecuting us. Help us to see even our persecutors through your eyes. Give us the strength to choose love over hate and courage over fear when we've been wronged. God, wherever we're at this morning, we ask that you would draw us deeper into relationship with you. Draw us deeper into relationship with each other too, whatever our differences may be. Weave our lives together into the story of the church and transform us from the inside out so that we can give testimony to you in our words and actions so that we can tell with the story of our lives about how great you are. Because God, you are great. You are awesome. You are mighty. You are a chain breaker, way maker, miracle working God. We thank you for the stories of transformation that we read about in your Bible and the stories we see in our world around us. Thank you, God. Amen.